0: Um, And I'm sure all of you, I'm sure all of us have heard of the phrase and talked about uh, the spirit of Christmas or the Christmas spirit. You know, for me, it starts on Thanksgiving, maybe before Thanksgiving a little bit, but it starts on Thanksgiving. There are just those reminders and those traditions, uh, whether it's a family gathering, movies you watch, songs you hear, um, events you go to, there's just those reminders that, uh, and traditions that calls you to say, this really gets me in the Christmas spirit. Has anybody um, said this a time or two? I think it should be on the screen for us to, uh, to look at. It. Anybody said that this past week? I'm going to fall over here. I need to move those. If I don't do that before I start preaching, y'all tell me to move those mics because I run into them. Um, Maybe you've said that a few times the last couple of days, last couple of weeks. This really gets me in the Christmas spirit, or that really gets me in the Christmas spirit. Uh, Maybe it's just me, but I think we say this a lot. And we really don't know what we're talking about. We just kind of say it. Um, And and a quick social media search um, uh, I did over the the past week shows that this phrase or these words, some amalgamation of these words, um, has been referenced um, over 2.5 million times Already this season, on just Instagram alone, people tagging their pictures or using that as captions for their pictures, um, metrics show that from now until January, the phrase Christmas Spirit um, will be Googled and tweeted and tagged tens of thousands of times per minute You'll find pictures of families with the hashtag in the Christmas spirit. Um, You'll find Google searches, people actually asking, how do I get in the Christmas spirit? And, And maybe, hopefully, they find out if they look it up. I don't know what Google says, but hopefully we can learn a little bit about how to get in the Christmas spirit today. And you'll find tweets and posts Saying that this light, this movie or those lights or this song really put me in the Christmas spirit. And needless to say, a lot of people use this phrase or talk about this feeling. I think that's a good way, that's that's an appropriate way to talk about it. This feeling without there being really any concrete definition or single experience that captures everybody's opinion on it. And I think a lot of us are conditioned to think of Christmas based on how we celebrate Christmas as kids, right? And things you did when you were little. That's not that nostalgia kind of you know causes you to have those warm and fuzzy feelings when you do it again or do something similar or think about something that uh, you did before. Um, we even say things, um, "Well, this feels like," or "It finally feels like Christmas." When we do this or we do that, and and, you know, aside from the colder weather, there's nothing really that causes us to think or can universally be pointed to as Christmassy. Um, And the cold weather helps. Otherwise, all the things that make it feel like Christmas are things that we do, right? It's things that you do that cause it to feel like Christmas. You decorate for Christmas. You sing Christmas music. You go Christmas shopping, right? And all the backdrops of colors and smells and tastes... Help to really get, help to really, uh, us to get really in the Christmas spirit. It usually requires us doing something Christmassy, though, right? That's what the trigger is. That's what the catalyst is. And you know what? Even if it's not cold, and even if the weather isn't wintry, that doesn't stop us from cranking up and plugging in the Christmas machine around this time of year. We all do it, right? Whether it's 80 degrees and sunny outside, we start decorating for Christmas. We play the music. We start doing the traditions that we do this time of year. And you know, what happens about a month from now Um, after decorating and singing and shopping, after countless um, gatherings of eating roast beasts or whatever you eat, um, wearing itchy sweaters and rocking around every Christmas tree that you can find. You know what happens every year come December 25th, whether we do all that or not? Christmas happens every December 25th. Now, I hope you rock around the tree and I hope you eat some roast beasts, and uh, yeah, y'all, know that was, y'all know where that's from. I hope you wear all the itchy sweaters that you can, but whether you do that or not, Christmas is coming, right? December 25th, every year, in the mood or not, cold or hot season, uh, if it feels like the season or not, Christmas is going to be here just like it is every December 25th. And, and you know what? If you've decked the halls and you've rang the bells and you have went for a sleigh ride or two, if you've saved all the gifts from being dumped off of Mount Clumpet, and maybe you've been left home alone and you've outsmarted the wet bandits or the sticky bandits, right? They, they changed their, their profession there. Um, you know, if you've celebrated with the Ewoks, that's not Christmas, but I watch it every Christmas anyway. By December 25th, if you've done all that stuff, especially the last one, if you've done all that stuff, you are primed and you are ready for Christmas, right? With bells on, as they say, because you did all that you needed to do. You prepared, you expected, you anticipated properly. See, you didn't just wait for Christmas to come and put you in the Spirit. You waited with anticipation and were filled with the Spirit. And and, and come on, maybe in the old days people used to not put the tree up until the day of or the day before, but right, we spend months getting ready, right? We don't just wake up on December 25th and expect something in the house to just set off the light and say, hey, it's Christmas. We get ready for it, don't we? We turn the volume up a little louder every day. We you know, make sure we wear this or we wear that. We do this, we go there, and we enjoy that. Because we are preparing for, we are anticipating eagerly and excitingly Christmas Day. We know that Christmas is coming. The backdrop has been prepared. The table will indeed be served. And someday very soon, 24 days from now, Christmas will be here. There is indeed a Christmas spirit to be found if we just look for it. It's there. Now, that's just a reference to the commercial, more secular side of the holiday. But the real meaning and message of Christmas can bring upon us a spirit like none other. You see, the beautiful and the awesome thing about Christmas is there is indeed a spirit behind it and in the air this time of year. And Christians, we believe that this isn't merely a feeling or a mood set off by lights and jingles and presents. We believe that God works through Christmas in perhaps the most universal and appealing way possible to tell a story that's greater than whatever miracle took place on 34th Street, more impactful than that time Tim Allen fell off his house and became Santa Claus, even better than that lovely cheese pizza that Kevin McAllister had. Christmas is an even better story because Christmas at its heart is the story of God's amazing love, the timeless story meant to forever remind us that we matter. Listen, you matter to God. And that, that is the story of Christmas. God's amazing love, and John, who isn't often turned to as a Christmas text, But John summarized the Christmas story perhaps better than anybody. For God so loved the world that He did something that people do when you're in love. You give, right? He so loved the world that He gave the world His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. The word perish doesn't just mean die, but it means be forgotten. It means be lost to time. Would not be forgotten. Would not cease to exist. But because they matter they can have everlasting, eternal life. God so loved us that He sent a Savior. Isn't that what the traditional story tells us? Unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior is born. Ever since then, there has been a Spirit in our midst, on our earth that has never been experienced before and has Nothing has been rivaled, has rivaled him since. That spirit, the spirit of God, is the pure and unfiltered presence of God. And you may wonder, how do I know this? Because here in the short, the difference Christmas made for the human race, the first Christmas set in motion a decade spanning sequence of events, the first installment of an epic trilogy, it started with God becoming one of us. And in the second part, Jesus died for all of us. In the third part, the Holy Spirit longs to fill every one of us, longs to dwell with every one of us. And we are living out that episode right now. It's been a little long, but we're still in it. The Holy Spirit has been moving over the past 2,000 years to wake everybody up, this time of year especially, to the unmistakable and irreplaceable passion you encounter God behind Christmas, the God behind Christmas. And when the church does its job, when we respond to what God is doing, we are set up to receive a very tremendous blessing. Because the Christmas Spirit is literally God's presence. The Christmas Spirit is the Holy Spirit. So I feel like it's a fitting time of year to talk about what it means to not just get in the Christmas Spirit, but to be filled by and filled with this Christmas, God wants to dwell with you. He wants, to be, he wants you to be filled with the Christmas spirit. And the good news is that this spirit is not behind a paywall. It's not behind a certain action or a certain deed, but it does require that we be in the right place, have the right attitude, and be in the right posture. This doesn't mean we have to be perfect. Uh, It does suggest there is a pursuit involved, though. There is a passion to take on and to assume. And if you really lean in and look for the real meaning of Christmas, the reason for the season, not just a superficial feeling brought about by carols and movies and sweets, but the divine blessing of God, the goodwill the favor of God given to all people you can have that you can know that personally and feel that forever I feel like the build-up to Christmas each year is an opportunity to seek out and prepare our hearts for the promise and the presence of God that we celebrate on December 25th but we can enjoy every day of the year This specific dedicated time, however, can be helpful and special for us to learn to appreciate the gift in a brand new, fresh way. In church circles, for years, this season has been called Advent. Advent comes from the Latin word that means the coming, literally the coming. Um, It's a word that means to us arrival. Uh, It refers to the coming of the Lord. And Advent, traditionally, um, is a time of expectation a time of preparation, a time of hope. And Christians have been using this time of year for ages to celebrate the Lord's first coming, but also to anticipate His second coming. And if you study church history, it's really been back and forth as to which is emphasized in any given era. Um, And really, though, this sets off a time for the church year to look forward and start fresh and start anew. But the idea is the same. Every year we play back the original Christmas story, anticipating its sequel. And I've talked about this before, but I don't know about you, sometimes there are these big, larger-than-life franchises, movie franchises, book series... They have big hits, and then they take these long, long breaks for different reasons. I can't think of a series right now, but i bet you can. Uh, but man, does it drum up the hype for the sequels when they finally come out, right? You've waited for years, I don't know, 10 years, right, goes by, and finally a new installment comes, and I really can't think of any offhand, but I'm sure, I'm sure that you have a favorite book or a favorite movie that you loved, and you re-watched, and you reread and we waited, or you waited for the next installment. Installment with bated breath. And sometimes the next installment is the last installment of a multi-generation saga. And I wish, I wish I could think of an example of one of these, but I just, I just can't. That was supposed to be something cool. Didn't get the instruction right. I think we all know that something cool is coming, but I'm trying to restrain myself, but the weight is killing me. But talk about Blockbuster. The Christmas sequel is going to be absolutely tremendous and we are living in preparation for it and God believe God is pulling out all the stops for it. But that's the thing. Advent. Advent is about not wasting the wait. About not wasting the wait. It's a time of waiting expectantly. Waiting with excitement. And while we wait we can anticipate and be filled with spirit of Christmas. Now maybe you don't know this, but the idea of Advent is not new at all, and it's actually a lot older than 2,000 years. Advent, this idea of not wasting the wait, was first introduced literally over 700 years before Christmas. Talk about a wait, right? To send this message to those all, uh, all those years before Jesus came out, that you can experience and receive the spirit of Christmas in the wait and be prepared for what God is going to do. Isaiah the prophet, who we often turn to for Christmas prophecies, was the one who brought this message of Advent to ancient Israel. And Isaiah came to an Israel that was losing its trust in God, turning away from God, and losing its sense of wonder about God. And it's to that audience, it's to these people, that Isaiah came with a very, very awesome passage of Scripture. And that's Isaiah 40. I want to read verse 1 through 11. And I would love for you to follow along with me this morning. Isaiah says, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken." The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass wither, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever." O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up to the high mountains, all Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up and be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God, or your God is here. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand. His arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Pretty spectacular, dramatic promise from God about what he himself was going to do for his people. Now, this was originally spoken to the king of Judah, a man named Ahaz, in his court. Uh, during this time, uh, it was a 50-year period, uh, both Ahaz and his son Hezekiah, who would uh, follow after him, Israel was surrounded by threat after threat, kingdom after kingdom, opposing them and besieging them. And really, uh, the entire backdrop for this For the text of Isaiah, the whole book of Isaiah, is the run-ins that he had with and the interactions he had with Ahaz. Now, Ahaz did not like Isaiah at all, and I'm sure Isaiah didn't really care for Ahaz, but God insisted that Isaiah continue to go to Ahaz and uh, persist and and be patient with him, as stubborn as he may have been, um, as he was the stand-in for God to the king. The short story is that Ahaz, who was the king of Judah, around 730 B.C. particularly, um, during his reign, Judah was as hopeless as ever before. Um, again, the people of Judah were on the brink of giving up, losing trust, turning away. Any sense of wonder they had about God, they were t- throwing away. And uh, to make matters worse, Ahaz, Ahaz was on the verge of selling out and selling the whole nation out with him. The people were very, very nervous, especially those who were trying to remain faithful to God, because they feared that as the nation went, so would they. You see, it had been bad for a while. The kingdom of Israel was split into two, a north half and a southern half, and looming at large over the entire Middle East was an empire called Assyria. Now the entire Middle East that you see here, the entire orange portion was dominated by the Assyrian Empire. And you see that little portion over toward the Mediterranean Sea. The only part that they had not fully conquered was the area around Israel in a kingdom just north of Israel called Aram. Um, but a little bit about, about Assyria. Assyria was ruthless and was vile. Um, they invented crucifixion, but they impaled people. Um, and the Greeks would come along later and clean it up a little bit. But they impaled people. They did not abide by the Geneva Convention. I can just guarantee you that. Um, the nation of Aram, modern-day Syria for us, um, convinced the northern kingdom of Israel that they ought to team up and fight Assyria which is a really dumb idea. It'd be like two counties of the United States going up against the entire armed forces of our country. These two tiny nations thought, hey, we can team up and we can fight off Assyria and hopefully they'll get scared and they won't come and take over the rest of what we have. And they were trying to pressure Judah and to join forces and help fund and man this resistance. But God had told Judah that you should not form an alliance with these other nations. They had fallen into idol worship and other things that were going on. He told them to remain faithful to him. Him. Meanwhile, uh, Edom and Philistia see an opportunity to advance their own causes before the Assyrian takeover, and they begin invading the southern borders. So all of Judah's surrounding nations saw Judah as a temporary buffer for what would eventually spell doom for the entire area. And maybe you can imagine what it would be like to be in the middle of this fire. And you know, we Christians in America get upset when we're picked on sometimes. But can you imagine what it was like for the remnant of God's people? Their backs were against the wall, their fate was literally in God's hand. And they begin to wonder is this what it's like to be God's people? Is this the most wonderful state of living? We'd hate to see the worst. Over time, the temple faithfulness had begun to erode. Faithfulness to the law of God fell off hard. The people began to question everything they had lived for. And King Ahaz found himself in a very difficult spot. Do you join forces with two local groups and do the dumbest thing possible and try to fend off the biggest army the earth has ever seen? Or do you do something else? Something unheard of? Ahaz began to talk to his closest advisors about what it would look like to make a trip to the Assyrian capital and surrender before the emperor and promise the emperor his allegiance, hoping that it would gain Judah security and ultimately save the nation. But Ahaz wasn't really worried about the nation. He was only looking out for himself. And this sent a terrible panic over the remnant of God's people because for certainty the temple would be shut down and rebranded. Yahweh worship would be made illegal. And they were in a frenzy, but they were in panic because if Assyria conquers us, what does it mean for the future of God's people? Do we just give up now? If it's it's into their hearts that Isaiah preached this text from chapter 40 so clearly. This was an Advent message, a message of hope. A message that said God is not far away even though He may seem like it. A reminder that in the midst of your darkness, even when we're considering doing the unthinkable, God is not far away. And as we try to plan a way out, God is trying to get in. God is planning a way in. So what was God's message to Israel? God has set a date. He is going to reveal Himself in a way you've never conceived or could not comprehend if someone tried to explain it. Isaiah's message to the people is wait on the Lord. His plans, His promises, and His presence will not and do not ever disappoint. We gather from this text, though, that when you wait on God, it's not merely sitting still, just hoping and praying that nothing nothing disastrous happens. Wait isn't passive. Wait is passionate and persistent. Persistent. Wait is a pursuit. If we're going to be filled with the spirit of Christmas, while we wait, we've got to passionately pursue God. You see, Advent is a platform meant to encourage us. It's an invitation for us to trust in, seek out, and wonder about the God of Christmas. The genuine, powerful, palpable presence of God can be and will be brought about when we trust in and when we seek out and when we wonder about Him. These first eight verses are an invitation to trust in the God of Christmas. And listen to how God makes a promise in verses 3-5. through The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked place made straight. The rough place made smooth. So what do we gather from those promises? That if it's a mountain that's too high for you to climb, God's going to bring it low. If it's a valley that you could easily get lost in, God's going to make it even. If it's a rough place, God's going to make it smooth. If there's no place at all, God is going to carve out a way. So the promise here, the reminder here, is that God is working for us, even though the world might be working against us. Even though the world may take away signs of God's love and God's redemption plan, God is persistent in bringing it all together and bringing us back to Him. Verse 6, the voice says, Cry out. And He said, What shall I cry? And notice the contrast in verse number 7. The grass withers, the flower fades, the breath of the Lord blows upon it, and surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. God's response to the enemy, his attempts and even our own shortcomings that hinder our coming to him, trying to block us from him. God's response is, you can trust me. When you fail, when others fail you, I will not fail you. My word is a guarantee. This passage is really built on the backbone of the Old Testament that constantly reminds us, God constantly reminds His people, I've got a plan, and I don't make plans that I can't keep. If I said it, I'll do it. You can trust me. You know, back in Eden, remember when Adam and Eve sinned, God did not immediately discipline them or reprimand them. His first words were to the enemy. Genesis chapter 3, the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all beasts on the field. Your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and mark my words, he will bruise your head. He will crush you. He will defeat you. If you read the, if you read the whole Old Testament, it literally tells a story that serves the purpose of setting this reckoning up. As the world divided and nations grew and the people forgot about the one true God, God started His nation through which He would reveal Himself to the whole world. That's how and why Israel, the smallest and least of all, would shine the brightest of them all as they told the whole world about the one true and only God. And through the twists and turns, ups and downs, slavery and exile, all for one purpose, they set the stage for the Christmas story. And it was all a part of God's advent. While He waited, He worked diligently to prepare. The New Testament looks back on this time period and says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption. Adoption. None of world history was accidental. God worked in each and every event, in every detail to prepare for Christmas. He planned it. He arranged that. He appointed this. Read the Old Testament. Read history on the periphery. All of the kingdoms and empires that existed, all were to set the stage for today. God can be trusted. He kept His promise. He made plans. He showed up on the right time and was not late. And He did not fail. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing right now, Isaiah 1 through 41 through 8 is just for you today. Read verses 3 through 5. Memorize verse number 8. Learn this passage because it applies to us during this season of Advent, during any season of waiting. You can trust in God. He will not let you down. The next passage reminds us of something else we need to do. Notice God gives instructions. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up on the mountain. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the city of Judah, Behold your God. This next passage is an invitation to seek the God of Christmas. While we wait, we must create a space wherein we intentionally seek God's face. While we wait, since God can be trusted, we must seek after Him. This is where we've got to stay in prayer and why the accountability of your church family matters so much. We will drift. We will give up. We will take a day off if we're not intentional. Wives, do not let your husbands lose sight of this promise. Husbands, do not let your wives lose sight of this promise. Kids, do not let your parents lose sight of this promise. Parents, do not let your children lose sight of this promise. Seek the Lord together. We come together to proclaim and affirm to one another that God is near. He can be found. That's what verse number nine tells us to do to see. Say it out loud. To sing it with our loudest of voices that our God has come. He is near. Whenever and wherever we seek Him, He can be found. That's His plan. That's His promise to us. Another prophet wrote some familiar words to us. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon Me and come and pray to Me, and I will hear you. You will seek Me and find Me. When you seek Me with all your heart, I will be found by you. That is God making a guarantee to you. If you call upon Me, if you seek Me, you will, you will, you will find Me. So you, we have got to trust in God. We have got to seek after God. If he's hidden, it's not because he has hidden himself from us. Something in this world may have blocked your vision. Something in your life may have blocked your vision, but God is persistently trying to get to you. Could it be that we just need to seek out for him? The psalmist David wrote, One thing have I asked for that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house or the presence of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple or in His house. Part of seeking God and trusting God is pursuing what makes God so awesome and mighty. Back in Genesis 15, when God made the promise to Abraham about Israel when he was promising that he would bless the whole world, clearly and obviously one of the earliest Christmas promises, Abraham had a hard time realizing or thinking that this could be real. Abraham doubted God, but he continued to seek God. And God tells Abraham something really strange in that text. He says, look toward heaven. Number the stars if you are able to. Because God knows he couldn't count them. But God says, Abraham, this is how much, this is how, how guaranteed... I'll I'll give you. This is how much I intend on keeping my promise. I am going to bless you with a seed that is so numerous you couldn't even count all the stars that would number them. Perhaps he saw the same star that would eventually lead the shepherds and wise men from afar all the way to Jesus' manger. See, there's another element to the spirit of Christmas. And I think Abraham got it when he looked up at those stars in that night sky. And I think it's most fitting for this season. We need to find a wonder about God. That enchantment, that enthusiasm, that zeal that maybe you had at one point but so easily gets numb or buried. As in consider all that He has done, explore all His glory and beauty, and marvel at how we fit into His story. Let's read verse 21 through 29 of this text. And listen to them, listen to Isaiah's invitation to wonder about God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall they stock, they stock, their stock take root in the earth. When He will blow upon them, they will wither. The whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken Me? Or to whom will I be equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by greatness of His might and the strength of His power. Not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim has been passed by by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait wait on the Lord shall renew their strength shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But again, waiting is not passive. It is a passionate, persistent pursuit. So while we wait, we must trust. We must seek. And we must wonder and worship our God. The glorious thing about the Spirit of Christmas is that from the very beginning we've been reminded that Christmas, the Christmas Spirit is God Himself. Isaiah first spoke a prophecy about this that was repeated by the angel when Jesus was born. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, God with us. And maybe you don't know this, maybe you do, but when Jesus, right before Jesus ascended to heaven... He made a promise to His disciples. Behold, I am with you always. My story started as one that promised presence. And this story isn't over. And my presence isn't going anywhere. We know the story. We know that there's still another act to come. We know that Christmas will be here in just 24 days. But that doesn't mean that the wait... All the weights in life, they can still get difficult. But if we've learned anything today, it's that the wait before Christmas is a reminder that God can be counted on, leaned on, trusted in, and found in the midst, not just in the end. This wait reminds us that God never wastes any period of time. He is always working while we wait so we can come to Him with our worries, our woes, and our weaknesses. We don't have to be like the king who turned away from Isaiah from God's Word and God's promises. He indeed went to Assyria. He bowed before the emperor. He promised and pledged his own life in hopes to save his own skin. He surrendered his people. And the story goes... The king of Assyria came against him and afflicted Ahaz instead of. Instead of strengthening him. And what does verse 29 promise to us? If we wait, if we trust, if we seek, if we wonder and worship our God, He gives power to the weak. He gives strength God promises to give us strength. He is the everlasting God. So we don't have to wonder. We don't have to wander while we wait. We can wonder in His splendor. And maybe that's why it's fitting to say that Advent is an invitation to take a stroll through wonderland, trusting in and seeking after God and expecting the best Christmas Ever. That childlike glee that you get when you drive through a, a neighborhood that's lit up. The songs are singing. The, gl- the, the joy on faces of kids as they watch parade floats come by. As they wait up as late as they can on Christmas Eve, wondering what may come the next day. When's the last time you had that sense of wonder about your God? The spirit of Christmas can give you that sense of wonder if you trust Him, if you seek Him. So while we wait, let's recommit our trust. Let's refocus our hearts and renew our wonder and be filled with the true Christmas spirit. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you. Lord, I'm thankful that as sophisticated as we try to make things in life and as professionals we try to be, we can still be your kids. We can still be your sons and your daughters. And God, I can't help but think you get so excited every Christmas, seeing the world lit up with colors and all the songs and all the seasonal things. I can't help but think it joys your heart to see the whole world come together to celebrate something that you started. Lord, You've invited all of us to take that stroll through wonderland this season. Where the wonder of You, the wonder of it all, can overwhelm and overcome our fears and our failures. Lord, You are the everlasting God and You promise to give strength to everyone who is weary. And if somebody today would confess, I am weary and I am weak, I need strength. But I'm going to trust in, I'm going to seek out, I'm going to find that sense of wonder again. Lord, I pray you would encourage somebody to take that step of faith, to renew, to refocus, to recommit. Perhaps somebody for the first time wants to take that step out and say, I want this Christmas to be the best one yet because I want to be filled with the Spirit of God. I want to have God with me just like Jesus promised me. Lord, I pray you would encourage everyone to write their hearts, to hand everything to you, as you've given everything to us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.